books, I think it's super important to not fully hide what you're doing, give people a glimpse. Like if you're worried of copycats, all that, like, don't worry, they'll happen. Copycats will be there. So like, don't be super afraid of sharing what you're working on. I think it's really important to get people in on the process a little bit and get them really excited to be a supporter. In 2017, Cindy Ramirez Fulton noticed a gap between traditional spas and the ones that cater to on-the-go millennials. Fast forward to today, she's now applying her past experience in hospitality and her natural flair for branding and marketing to grow Chill House, a day spa that serves fashionable cafe drinks in spaces designed to help us slow down and relax. Her brick and mortar locations in New York City supply an assortment of essential self-care experiences, including facials, massages, and nail and pedicure services, and are home to wellness cafes. Chill House also offers incredible products on their website, and Cindy has an even bigger ambition to turn Chill House into a global brand for modern self-care. Coming up, how Cindy's experience in her mother's spa as a child sparked her passion for hospitality. Why Cindy was inspired to launch Chill House. A behind the scenes peek at launching a service-based business and how the Chill House team navigated hiccups along the way. How to successfully market a D2C website launch. And finally, Cindy's insights on fundraising through friends and family. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Cindy, we are so excited to finally sit down with you to share your entrepreneurista journey and story. You have such an incredible background and we would love to hear how you got started and how your career led into launching Chill House. Oh my God. It's a really long-winded story, but it's very serendipitous how this is kind of how I end up, ended up in my career. But I guess I could kind of take it back to like growing up. So my mom is an esthetician. She migrated here from Colombia and she opened up like a small little Medi spa, like grew it from one seat to a full little, like a full floor spa in Jackson Heights. And so I kind of grew up in this world, but in a very different sort of way. Um, You know, her business was very much about results driven sort of services, cellulite, laser facials, obviously more clinical type services. Obviously, as a young woman, I was like, ah, I don't really need this stuff yet. So I not, I was like, not necessarily super excited about the spa world from the get-go. I always thought it was like, a little felt a little dated and all that. That kind of stuck with me many, many years later, of course, decades even later. But then during my 20s, I actually worked in hospitality. I was a bartender, server. Um, I also went to school for fashion marketing and I dropped out of college twice which is kind of a part of my story in some weird twisted way. It just kind of made me, forced me into becoming more full-time with hospitality because I didn't really, I kind of lacked direction after dropping out. I didn't really know what to do, where to really go in my career when, you know, you're applying for jobs that don't want you when you don't, you're not a graduate, you don't even have a bachelor's degree to show for it. So it was a challenging time in my twenties where I felt really rejected by 
the workspace and I didn't know where to go um, with my career. It wasn't until I was like 26 years old that I ended up having this like epiphany moment where I was like, well, obviously I'm kind of going nowhere in this sort of hospitality world. I was just bartending. I didn't really want to go into management. Like I loved it and I enjoyed it, but I didn't really see a future in it personally. So I decided to just like go on fashionista.com and I found this really interesting internship opportunity with this incredible woman called Liza. I'm actually going to meet her. She lives in Miami now. She was starting a, basically like a consultancy to help entrepreneurs launch tech businesses in the fashion space, which is kind of niche, but it really spoke to me because it was obviously touching on entrepreneurship, innovation, technology, and of course, fashion, which is what I loved. So that job was really kind of like my beginning, the beginning to my career, I'd like to say, and taught me so much. And so that internship turned into a full-time job where I kind of was able to create my own, my own title. And I was able to sort of decide what I wanted to do, where I wanted to take my career because she was, I was like her first hire and I was like her number one. And ever since then, it was very much like I was kind of became obsessed with the entrepreneurship world. I left that job and I I applied to a couple of like full-time positions and realized that that was just not for me. (laughs) I had two, one really good experience with coach and I, I got a job offer and then I turned it down and then I went on another interview with a tech agency and immediately was like, this is not for me. I can't be, I felt very degraded during the meeting. And I just, from there, I realized I just wasn't the type of person to operate as an employee. I had a very interesting first experience in, you know, the workforce with my, my boss. And she, she felt like a friend and, and a mentor, right. Less like a boss. Whereas like, I'm like, that's not going to be the experience moving forward here. I got to do something about this. And so I basically started thinking about what I could do for a living from that moment on. How old were you then? Probably like 28. So like kind of late in my, relatively late in like the work for Sears or however you call it, career years. But uh, from there, I kind of just, I turned to my boyfriend at the time, now husband, and I was like, I think, I think I just want to start something of my own. Like, what could I do? And and we, I basically landed at a couple of businesses simultaneously. I, I started a, a blog called Taste of Style, which was like, left out a little part of the story. I had like a tiny little site when I was like 22, when like blogs were like nothing. Like it was like Rumi Neely was like the only blogger and like, you know, Kiara, like they were like, blogs were very, very like in their infancy. He was like, you should pick that back up. You're doing like really cool stuff. I did like restaurant recommendation. So I basically started up a a lifestyle site called Taste of Style, um, editorial site. I had a lot of fun with it. I basically was able to connect with so many people because I was just interviewing people left and right and connecting like you guys are every day with really incredible entrepreneurs and highlighting them. So editorial, I feel like for me, really opened the doors a lot because I was able to access um, I was able to get into the mind space of so many people, right? And as opposed to when I had the other job, it was more like on a paid exchange. This, I was able to just ask them all the questions I wanted to ask and, you know, and and obviously share that with our our readers. So that was Taste of Style. And then I also had an agency called The Eclective, which was like, it's kind of like Adam's idea, but I ended up running it. Essentially, we, we realized that there was a little bit of a void in agency life where like, you know, there were PR agencies that worked with the big brands and they brought in the editors and that kind of thing. And I guess there were like 
social media influencers were like right at the precipice. Like it was just like in their infancy as well. And we saw that there was a void in like that micro micro influencer who was really eager to go to events and parties and all like all these cool happenings. And we were like, we want to work with those people and bring them to like these events. So we were kind of this, it was like an influencer promotional agency, if that makes any sense. And we worked with some really cool brands to essentially like bring our community to come to those events. So that was fun. And it really like taught me a lot about influencer PR, you know, marketing in general. From there, my husband was opening up a bar, his first bar in the West Village. And I kind of asked how I could get involved. So I've stayed involved in those bars since, you know, they launched about like eight years ago. I forget, 2014, 2014, sorry. Time flies. 2014, (laughs) 2014, now 2004, my gosh. So yeah, we've, I've like kind of went back into the hospitality space and remembered how much I loved it. And like, you know, it kind of put me in another, in another mind space, I think realizing I really loved and craved like an in-person experience. And like, I think that also in a way pushed me to this, obviously what, what I do now, because I realized after putting everything I've done together, I'm like, what's missing for me. And like, if I were to open up my like a physical space, what would that look like? And it all kind of just, just came together. It was like all these, it was a trifecta of things that ended up becoming Chill House, which was me realizing that there was not a space that spoke to women like me or people like me, my generation, like, you know, millennial, like not affluent. Like I, you know, I, I wanted a place to frequent um, and spas were just like very unattainable in pricing. And on the other end, there were just like, I feel like a lot of the businesses exploit, you know, their workers. And so it was very obvious something was missing there. And then we brought in this cafe element because I really want, I do feel like relaxation starts with a drink in your hand, whether that's tea or like a matcha or like, let's face it, like for me, a glass of wine or a cocktail. So, and we do have beer and wine. We did at LES, we're working on the flagship one, but um, yeah. And then all these other sort of elements came together and then Chill House became, became sort of, even bigger than what we sought out to do in the LES location, which is, you know, this self-care movement in a sense for people like us to prioritize themselves and, and have like a, a brand or, or a physical space that really like reminds them to do that in a non-preachy way. So that's kind of uh, the long-winded answer. I love the name Chill House and Thank I regret you. not going when I lived in New York, but I go back. So I I definitely want to go and check it out. Can you talk to us about when you launched and how did you get the first location off the ground? What were some roadblocks you faced? So yeah, we opened almost five years ago, March of 2017. So we're, we're creeping up on five years and you know, I think we had a little bit of experience in opening up spaces. So I definitely leaned on my husband and his team to help me with some, some of those things like permits, like the build out, like all that stuff. I I don't even try to pretend that I knew what I was doing. And like, I'm learning more and more every time that we, we do anything, but it's still, you know, something that I definitely lean on them to help with. Um, but it was interesting because you know, I think opening up a physical space to it's very hard to get a business loan or anything like that. So you have to fundraise for it if you don't have your own capital. So it was really this kind of song and dance of like fundraising, but also finding like a physical location and then like pitching the physical space once we actually had it, but then we don't know how it's going to perform because it doesn't exist yet. So it was just, if I'm thinking back then, it was a really interesting time to learn how to properly like envision 
a brand and 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 sell people on this vision when it didn't exist. Now it's very different, right? Because we have five years under our belt. We're really able to tell our story and know exactly where we're going with it. But at the time it was like, we definitely were super green to the game. I mean, even though my mom has theoretically like these small spas, like she's not an operator the same way that I'm an operator. Like we use technology to enable our business. She doesn't, she's more, you know, she comes from a very like different background. And so it was a big learning curve in general, like learning how to staff, learning the appropriate like hourlies, like all of that, you know, I think I just think back to how much we didn't know and how much it just all taught us. So we look at like our LES location as like our MVP. It was a crash course in chill house (laughs) and what we think makes the most sense for us moving forward. And yeah, I'm like trying to think what else I can say about it other than it was just like a super challenging time. Like it was, I thought at the time we wanted to hire like a general manager that was more like entrepreneurial like us. And then as it turns out, it's like, we really just needed someone that knew the spa business. So there were a lot of learning curves there in just like management and and, and hiring the right people and all that stuff. And additionally, I mean, we ran into so many hiccups. We had, you know, people loved how innovative the space felt because it was like a cafe next to a nail salon, right next to a massage area. And it was like, it was kind of a hot mess because there was so much noise from the cafe and then it bled into the the back massage area. And then the technically, like if we were using acetone, like it was a toxic environment to have it sit next to the cafe. So we had all these little more like operational hiccups, I'd say that started to arise, you know, maybe weeks after we opened our doors, like the DOH came by and was like, we have to shut you down. And we had this moment of panic where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to get rid of the cafe. Like we spent all this money building it out. And also like, of course, thought that like the cafe was such an integral part of the brand and the storytelling, because it really does kind of help tell the chill house story and just, and, and creates a different environment for what we were trying to do. So that was one of the first things that I can remember. And like, I mean, in general, the store, we ran into so many issues in that one in general that I don't even need to get into. And people who have been following Hill House and myself probably know already, like we've had multiple floods. We've had pipes break, completely wiping our our cafe area and just other little things. Um, But all that, again, like was a super crash course in what we know for what Chill House is now. And like, we've made so many great edits to our like location and the Soho location now that we're able to feel much more confident that that's kind of like the model we want to replicate for other stores moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. What were those solutions or edits that you had to make to get it to what it is today? What is it now versus what's, what changed? It was like a blessing and a curse sort of thing, right? So we opened up a small store and we're able to kind of operate lean because, you know, it was a tiny store, but what happened was, is that we actually had really a really beautiful brand and all of that set the expectations super high. Right. And we had a beautiful store, but all of that weathers with time. And like, just sometimes like you walk in and it felt really hot messy because it was like a small store and we were adding more products and we were adding more things and like things just started feeling really cluttered. And so I, I just remember this vividly. I got like a one person in my DMS or, or just someone like emailed me and was like, listen, I like love what you do. I think it's great. I love chill house. I love what you're about, but I will say like, you know, I feel like it's a very different 
the brand feels very different on digital than it does in store. And I was like, we can't be this way. Like we can't have this like incredible brand presence and the store not reflect that. We need to go a little bigger. We need more space. We need to really execute on our promise here. And like by the grace of God, we had this amazing landlord reach out and, and they were like, we have this really great space and you know, we're in Soho West. And I think going into like an area that is slightly under the developed because we know we're a destination was fine for us. And we were willing to take that risk. So we ended up just opening up that location while also keeping our, our LES and kind of changing the model up there a little bit. We ended up closing it during COVID, but we just realized that that was going to be the the representation of chill house. And, and we were able to add like a back of house, which we didn't have before. I mean, like things like that, that people don't even see that really hurts management and hurts company morale, all of those things. Like we weren't even taking into consideration when we were opening up this space, right? It's like, you wish you would hire a consultant that's done the exact same thing as you. They don't exist like that, right? Not everyone's done what you're doing if you're trying to do something kind of disruptive. So it was like our own consultant, <laughs> like LES was our consultant. And we, and we made all those edits according to what we knew that we had to let go of. So yeah, just like more, more space and just, you know, even now trying to maybe standardize our operating procedures and all of that is super important. When you first went out to open the store, you mentioned that you had to raise money and you said you didn't have experience in that process. How did you determine how much money you needed to raise to open the store? And what were some of your learnings from, from raising initially? Yeah, I think it's a combination of obviously like figuring out all of your expenses prior to opening between design, between actual build out, how much your landlord needs, how much down payment you need, all those. So just, you know, adding all that up. And we, we really didn't raise enough, if I'm being honest, like now I would definitely be like, we need at least, you know, X amount in the bank for cushion for runway. You don't know right away if you're going to have like, you know, a packed, if your occupancy is going to be completely full. So and one of the things I still hear to this date from so many people is like always raise more than you think you need, which I don't necessarily love to do because, you know, I think it's also, I like feeling small and I like feeling like that kind of drive to not that I always want to see your bank account, like, you know, I was in the red or anything like that. But like, I, I, I do feel like there is a bit of like a, like a sense of urgency when you're not over raising and you're not like, you know what I mean? So that's kind of what happened. And we were just kind of like, whoa, we have to, we have to go. It's like, open up the floodgates. Let's get, you know, some PR going, some influencers and let's just hope for the best. And there were some times where we had major scares when it came to making payroll and, and like paying rent and all of that. And I will say that running like a spa space is very challenging on its own. And especially when it's like a staffing business, a one-to-one -one business. So all of that was like eye-opening, but the fundraising process was just, you know, we have a very great group of friends who happen to also invest like, you know, small checks here and there. So we just kind of reached out to a lot of those and they still remain angel investors in anything else that we kind of um, like my husband is opening up to more bars. So it's been to me like, raising like that, where it's just friends and family angels is so important to kind of build that community and kind of camaraderie around your business and, and knowing that they're going to be there for you versus are like, are a little more like disassociated with it, maybe like more in, like certain institutional capital. So some of our, like most of our investors now have supported us in some way outside of their, their funds. It's, it's been 
to me, just like being able to open up my business and the opportunity of our success to friends, I feel like also makes me closer to them. Like some of my best friends have given me $10,000 like here and there, you know, it's, and it motivates me. Like I, I would just never, I can never not deliver on my promise to my best friend, to my mother, to my father-in-law. Like these are, you know, and that to me is like the biggest driver, I think. And the one thing I want to hold on to when we do future rounds. When you first launched the space, how did you market it? How did you get your first customers? So it's actually kind of funny. A space is very different than like an online, like a consumer brand that has like a DTC is like their model. So we, I knew we had to create something that felt a little like obscure and like gave people not too much information as to what we were building as we were trying to rank up followers. So I did something kind of interesting where I had very vague but aspirational images that I started posting on the feed and kind of giving people clues as to we were what we were building, but like not coming out with it right away or, or really saying much at all. But we ranked up a bit of a following. I think we were at like 8,000, 9,000 followers when we actually opened up our doors and people were really excited to come. So yeah, we we're this Instagram native brand that when we opened up our doors already had a bit of a following. So I always say to new entrepreneurs, I think it's super important to not fully hide what you're doing. Give people a glimpse. Like if you're worried of copycats, all that, like, don't worry, they'll happen. Copycats will be there. So like, don't be super afraid of sharing what you're working on. I think it's really important to get people in on the process a little bit and get them really excited to be a supporter. So that's what we did. And we had really, really good traction following opening our doors because, you know, we had a built-in audience there. And then of course we had a PR strategy as well and, and had like some really incredible press that came through when we opened. Were you doing all of your social and digital and press yourself, or did you work with outside partners to help with the launch? We still outsource press. Um, so we have an outside agency for press, but we do influencer, we do social, all of that in-house. And then also I will say I had pace of style at the time. Right. And so I was kind of walking people through my personal Instagram, even like a little bit of taste of styles, Instagram and sharing with them what's going on on the side. And, and so there was definitely a little bit of like not crossover, but I was able to sort of leverage that audience a bit um, and use it to our advantage. So I grabbed our like newsletter list and like sent them information about chill house, asked them to kind of move over into the chill house newsletter list and, and that sort of stuff. So um, it, it definitely helped to have a little bit of a digital audience through that site for sure. When you launched, was it only the brick and mortar location or did you also launch e-commerce on your site too? No, it was just brick and mortar at the time. And that was plenty, <laughs> plenty to learn, but we evolved, you know, one of the things, like I mentioned, you know, the small world, the, the physical sort of service-based model, it's definitely like, especially what we were trying to do, which was like affordably priced we ran into some hiccups and like definitely were in cash crunch situations. So we started getting a little creative and, you know, what could we do to kind of continue sort of putting revenue to, towards the bottom line. And so we, you know, opened up ourselves to becoming sort of like an event space. And we had crazy opportunities from brands like Nike. We worked with Nike, Uniqlo, H&M, like all the big guys to basically they would look to us to do their product launches, either like in our store, or they would bring us to their spaces to do these services for like a gift with purchase sort of angle, which I thought was really interesting. And it, we hadn't really 
predicted that would happen and would allow for us to, you know, maybe grow our corporate team with that. So because we started getting those opportunities, I was able to start kind of growing the team slowly, but surely. And then of course that ended up bringing up conversation about e-com product. Like if we're going to curate our own kind of third-party products that kind of represented the chill house sort of ethos. So then we became a bit of a retailer for a hot minute there and eventually just decided that we would do our own products and, and drop the third party. Do you remember that feeling or that moment when your first customer walks in and they're enjoying the services that you're providing? That's a great question. I can't remember the first ever customer because we definitely had like friends, you know, friends and family days, I think before. So it's kind of hard to remember that first person, but yeah, I mean, it was like a trickle in sort of moment. It was like, Oh my God, people are coming in, people are coming in just, you know, walking around the Lower East Side and like stumbling upon it and walking in. It was like, it was just like a different vibe even that we have now because it was more like there was more foot traffic over there. So I just remember being like, I can't believe they just stumbled upon this, you know, um, I'm trying to think of like some really interesting celebrities who have walked through the door and like probably didn't know who we are. They just like stumbled upon us. Like I think Anne Hathaway came in once with her dog. I think like James Vanderbeek booked a massage because he was like staying around the block from us at like the Rivington Hotel, like things like that was oh, that's really cool. Like all in like <laughs> the first couple of months, it was like really, really fun to to see that kind of stuff happen. But yeah, I'm like trying to remember if I remember the first customer. I think I was just like running around like a chicken with my head cut trying, trying to just make it and keep, keep everything going. <laughs> when you first launched, because you, you know, you have the nail services, the cafe, the massage, how many different specialists did you need? How big was your team initially and how big is it now? Yeah, we have about anywhere from like 45 to 60 people currently between corporate and, and our like service providers. At the time we were smaller, but we've kind of vacillated in that world because a lot of people just work like one shift, two shifts. I think now we're, we're really trying to incentivize our team to work more full time. So, you know, th- those numbers can kind of become less, but it's a, it's a lot to manage. So I kind of quickly realized that, started identifying team leads in order for them to really be able to manage that team and, and be their team know that they can speak to someone that understands the service, understands what they're going through. And I think that really changed everything. Something we didn't set out to do or think would, would be needed. We thought maybe the general manager can handle all of it, but it became quickly obvious that like everyone needs a leader, right? Everyone needs a direct leader that can fully understand what they're going through and and can speak to it and can almost like inspire them, I think, to do better in their practice and all that. So that really has helped change our, like just how great our services are. I think from like a performance element, it's, it's really helped increase performance across the board. Talk to us about March, 2020 in New York city, this pandemic starts your service-based business, and it feels like the entire city and world is shutting down. I remember in that moment with Courtney, and we're in a different type of business, an agency business, we just had to you know, manage the team coming or not coming into the office, but your whole business is based around people coming in for, for services. How did you handle those initial early days and moments emotionally and also in the business and what was your pivot plan it was really crippling actually and still gives me ptsd um i was pregnant too so all of it combined it was like it was just a lot to take on um 
but I do know like there are other people out there have had way worse experiences than me. So I consider myself one of the lucky ones, honestly. And it actually in a way shaped our business to be what I think it needs to be now. So it's like a weird, I have like a very polarizing complex relationship with COVID now where I can kind of look back and be like, there's a silver lining there, but it also brings up so much trauma. Like it was, it was dramatic. You know, we, we didn't know what would happen. We didn't know how our landlords would react to all of it. And I think there are a lot of people that failed because they weren't as lucky with their landlords and like those conversations. And I think we, we didn't have that issue. So that was one thing that really helped. But as far as like how we pivoted, I just, there were so many ways we, we tried to pivot and, and think about not only our team, but like, how would our community react? How do we make sure we keep them engaged? Like, how do we make sure we still have money coming in? Right. That's like the biggest stress factor, of course. But if I'm thinking about like that first week, I mean, it was me sending an email to everyone just being like, this is like so unfortunate that I even have to send this, but we're going to have to like lay you guys off until we know what's going on. And we, we didn't have, we're not a, you know, VC backed business where we could pay people. And there was a lot of expectation around, I just remember there being so much expectation around brands. People, people think of chill house as a big brand and we're not a big brand. And I think there was a lot of heat coming through, you know, socials at the time, people getting canceled left and right. I mean, it was a stressful time. Just even thinking that I can't stand, I can't be there for my team the way that I wish I could. So like that guilt, all of that was just so heartbreaking. And like, not only the stress of thinking about all the people that kind of rely on this paycheck, just in general, like what's going to happen to chill house during this time. And it's all compiling on you at the same exact time. And then on top of that, you're like, you're not allowed to leave the house. And, you know, all this, it was just really intense. We ended up doing some interesting pivots though. And, you know, what was great is that our community just like really understood what we were going through and felt for us. And I think like that camaraderie around small business that first month, even like through June and like into the summer felt like if people were like rooting for you, they were really rooting for you, right? And if people weren't rooting for you, they were, they were gonna, you know, make sure that you <laughs> didn't have a business. But I felt that people really came through for us and was so grateful for that. But we did like a gift card initiative that everyone could like buy gift cards. And I, it was like a fair amount. It was like 40% or 50% of like the proceeds would go towards like a pool for our team. So there were ways that we were trying to make sure that they were being taken care of and all that. And that made me feel a little lighter um, that we were able to kind of do something there. And then at the same time, we we're of course trying to figure out how to keep our like digital doors open. So we started opening up conversations with brands and, and kind of tapping more into that partnership side of our business that I mentioned, how we were able to do so many in-store events and activations and all that. It was a really big part of our business model at, at a moment for a while there. So how do we turn those conversations and, and make them digital? So we were able to work with some really great brands to, to help sort of keep the chill online, you know, like working with like an Erno Laszlo to kind of help people learn how to keep up with their skincare because they couldn't go see their esthetician, you know, same with body. How do we do stretches? Do we get a brand involved in that? Like nail care, like all these partnerships that we were able to unlock through just like being able to share self-care moments via Instagram live. Now, like now that I think about it, it's like, I can't believe we were like, that's what we did for like 
a few months. It was crazy. I feel like a lot, a lot of brands, everyone, we were all on yeah, Instagram all live all, all day. We're and still then Instagram and, yeah. lives from time to time. Yeah. I, I will say, and everyone has their own unique experience with the limitations of COVID, but I do remember thinking about when, you know, you can't leave the house. What was the first thing I wanted to do when I left the house? And that was get my nails done. So when you were able to open up your doors, was it crazy busy? Cause there must've been so much pent up demand and, you know, people having nails that need to get done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd say we were like very pleasantly surprised at how busy it was kind of when we opened up our doors and we allowed people to book in advance. So we filled up our, our books really well and we provided a really safe environment for people. Of course, like What's crazy about the whole thing, though, is that even though there was some sort of government support, like the fact that, you know, you have to kind of keep up with the COVID, like maintenance of everything, making sure people feel safe, your team feels safe, your your customers feel safe, all that, like that's not, <laughs> that's something we have to now adapt and, and bring into our business practice. So again, you know, it's, it's just funny, like you set out to run one business and then you end up having to change all these different things and like the majority of your time now goes towards thinking about COVID and how to, you know, how to navigate this world. So that's like, it ends up eating up your time, right? You're not able to build the business and doing this and, or like grow this. And I'm, I'm very happy to be kind of entering a new sort of era when it comes to COVID and like what that may look like is obviously still a little like questionable, but you know, I do feel like now I'm kind of able to see a lot more clearly because we're kind of feeling the, some of that, some of that weight off our shoulders slightly, but we, we did have really nice traction. I think our, our community was really excited to be back and we have all, a lot of our members ended up keeping their membership, which is crazy unless they moved. So it was wild. I was very, very surprised. <laughs> when did you launch chill tips? So we launched chill tips on my honey's due date which is interesting. So July, 20 something, that was, that was crazy. So basically, you know, we known we wanted to launch products prior to COVID. Like it was something that we were working on, but we weren't like fast tracking it per se. We were kind of like slow working on it and just making sure that we were in a place where we can actually roll out products. Well, of course, COVID happened and we're like, okay, we got to fast track this. And so we launched the tips July, July, August of 2020. And then immediately got an email from Urban Outfitters that they wanted to stock us. It was just three SKUs at the time, just slowly building up that business. But in the past, you know, year and a half that we've had that business, not even a year and a half, it's like already exceeding our store sales, which is wild. Um, so had no idea people loved press-ons this much, but it's such a, it's such a unique product for us because it's, one thing that I haven't really mentioned is just like how much we're known for our nail art, right? So one of the things that I, I wanted to bring into Chill House originally was this combination of like having really beautiful nail art services, but also being able to grab like a really delicious latte and like being able to Instagram your nail art with your latte, like the whole thing, the whole, it was a vibe. And now, you know, because we weren't, we didn't have our doors open when we launched, you know, so many salons were still closed across the world, across the country, I'm sure the world, but we're only in the US right now. We just saw like a huge pickup on, on them and, and people just slowly started adapting their, their routines into becoming press-ons people. I mean, I, I still obviously get pedicures religiously, so I'm definitely still 
giving a lot of my money to salons, but like I have become a press on person. And I, I can't tell you how many people have said that, like, it just like alleviates so much time, right? You know, you can always have a little box there. You're running out to an event and your nails are not done and you can't get that nail. You can't get that salon appointment because they're, they're packed or like, you're just like in a, in a bind. It's like that perfect solution for, for people. So we kind of hit a home run with it. And I feel really, really blessed that it's like that in a weird, sick, twisted way that we were able to execute on this and like really like pull it off. And now the growth of our business is definitely, you know, a hybrid model, like products and store. Um, And we see ourselves definitely growing the product line, like not only press-ons and nail, but like extending categories into other categories, you know, because we do own a spa effectively. And I think there's a lot we can do around products and then being able to kind of bring that spa experience home. All right, Cindy, we're going to do a few rapid fire questions that you were not prepared for. So the first (laughs) word or words that come to your mind when we ask you these questions, are you ready? Okay. (laughs) Describe yourself in three words. Ambitious, impatient. I don't know if that's a good thing, um, but that's okay. We can't all be perfect, right? Ambitious, impatient, and determined. Phone call or Zoom call? Phone call. Any day. <laughs> Any day. <laughs> we know Chill House <laughs> has a cafe inside. What is your go-to order? I love the Give Me Life. That one kind of tastes like a Mexican hot chocolate, but it has some really great adaptogenic mushrooms in it. So it's just very good for you. It gives you like a very like natural kind of buzzy high. And it's just so, so delicious. Mm, sounds sounds good. good. Mm-hmm. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? So many. I don't know if I would just have one. I think for the sake of like my business, I'd love to be able to really learn graphic design, even though I know how to direct graphic design and like I'm effectively the creative director of chill house like I don't know how to technically put a graphic together or an illustration together or any visual so that would be my number one I'd say what is the app on your phone that you can't live without oh god Instagram unfortunately (laughs) all of us right all right and finally what is your favorite business tool that you've used to help grow your business to help grow the business. I mean, obviously Slack has been a big one for us as we all I'm sure know and use. I don't know. I feel like Shopify has been a really good partner for us. And we just kind of ended up converting into Shopify plus, which is a big deal. We can actually like become a Shopify plus customer. So it unlocks like a lot of really great tools for us to continue growing our D2C side of the business, which, you know, for us is super important. Awesome. Yes. We love Shopify. So definitely a great platform and can't live without Slack. So, all right, mm-hmm. now back to, back to our regular, regularly scheduled questions. Okay. Here. <laughs> what does a typical day outside of work look like? So I have a baby, he's almost 18 months. So obviously wake up, have breakfast with him, change him, hang out, spend a little time with him. And then if we did have like a nanny, maybe like it depends on the day of the week. If it was a Saturday, obviously spend all day with him. If it's during the week, it's probably work. So, but I think for the most part, my husband and I love visiting restaurants. We're like, again, kind of going back to our roots. We're just like super, super obsessed with the hospitality scene in general. So we're always kind of 
running around, going to bars, restaurants, hotels, like just kind of checking out where we are. And like, if, if we're traveling or even if we're in the city, there's always like somewhere to go, someone to see sort of thing. In a perfect world, I would also get a massage at Chill House or anywhere. Literally, I don't care at this point. I am just always in need of a massage. Me too. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that would be like a perfect day and then maybe like a staycation somewhere, but that's not like a traditional day. But there's always a meal involved. There's always a drink with friends involved. I have like a really close group of friends that I see religiously in the city. So just try to keep it light. You know, I don't think that life should be only about stressing yourself over work. So definitely try to keep a little bit of a balanced lifestyle there as much as we can. How has the transition been for you uh, into motherhood while, you know, running this and growing this successful business and learning all about this new little life and figuring out how to, how to manage everything. I have a two and a half year old, so I, I'm a, well, exactly a year, a year ahead of, of you. And I, I know it's not easy. <laughs> no, I know. I'm like, I'm like, you see, you're my future. You see, you are living in my future. It's funny. Once they hit the stage, they definitely turn a corner. So it's like every little, their own little milestones are like, we have to kind of adjust accordingly. So that's been the biggest, I think, eye-opening part of it all. It's just learning how they change and then we have to adjust. We have to like reset our our routine a little bit, like every few months, which then kind of like messes with our routine a little bit. And all that has been super eye-opening, but I will say it, it is so much about obviously your support system and like, you know, who helps take care of the baby. And like one of the things that has alleviated a lot of stress off my plate when it comes to Hendrix, not only of course, like nanny, my aunt was taking care of him, my mom's taking care of him now, but I have like someone that's like a part-time personal assistant that yes, helps me with my stuff, but actually helps me a lot with Hendrix's stuff. So like, I don't have, I'm like, I know I trust you. You can pick out cute outfits for him. Like we need a lot of pants, like things like that. Delegate. <laughs> Honestly, I'd love to be able to do it, but things up so much time. Like things are things that actually cost most. I can tell you how stressed out I've been over my outfit for a really big press thing that I have going on on Tuesday. That I just had to have my style me, and I'm like, I feel like I'm a diva. I'm like, style me, but I'm like, I literally don't like things like that where you identify like this eats up so much of my time, and it also doesn't bring me joy. Like it actually stresses me out more than anything. Like shopping stresses me out so much. So all of those little tasks that I've now identified just are not good for my personal mental health, even though they may seem fun. I'm getting those off my plate indefinitely. And I don't care if it takes a little bit more money. If I'm splurging a little bit on Henny, like that's fine. Like as long as I feel like I'm keeping that balance where I still get to see him and like I'm involved in his life, but I'm also able to focus on my business and be able to really do everything I'm supposed to do because the last thing you want is for people to be like oh she's she's incapable of balancing the act of motherhood and, and whatever and like so far I mean I really get pissed off if someone ever said something like that to me in front of my like to my face but like that's like the one thing I always want to make sure that I'm I'm keeping in mind well it definitely takes a village and certainly what you shared you know figuring out what things don't bring you joy and eat up time and finding other people to help because that's definitely, definitely what's needed. And Courtney, we should connect Cindy to Veronica in the league who does the styling. That'd be perfect. For sure. 
She's coming to my closet. She goes into your closet and puts oh my together God. all the outfits. I have an amazing organizer that I I've used for the past couple of years back in the city. Game changer. Like yep. someone like helping you get rid of clutter, all that stuff, like eats up at your time. And to me, it's like time is my biggest asset. Absolutely. If you could give the entrepreneurista audience one essential business tip, what would it be? I feel like I always default to this and I'm sure it's, um, there just, there are so many business tips that I can possibly, that I can probably rattle off. But the one that always has stuck with me is just this idea that like, we're not just our businesses, right? It's like, you have to think about yourself even through this process of your business and, and, and operating and all that, because you just never know. And I think if you think about your personal brand and how you can integrate your business into your personal brand and vice versa, then that's like the magic is in that. And, and being able to also share, you know, your other passions, other things that bring you joy, like whether that's cooking or whatever. I mean, this is for some reason, this just came and popped into my mind, but someone like, for example, Jennifer Fisher, right. It's so random, like how she does jewelry, but because she's really passionate about cooking now has like a line of salts. Like you just never know where the journey is going to take you when it comes to also being able to explore that side of you. Like, what is my personal brand? How, how do I leverage my passions into, and, and like, how do I merge my passions into my business and, and what can, where can that bring the business? How could it propel it forward? So I'm always about like, just do what like makes you happy and like, explore that, find your joy and see how you can weave it into your business in some way. We love that. Cindy, we could chat with you for hours and there's definitely <laughs> so much more to talk I about. So we will be sure to follow up when this episode airs with a LinkedIn live or Instagram live and continue oh, the conversation. But I would love that. my last question for you today is what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? It means really following the beat of your own path. Is that the the expression? It, it's it's so much about just finding that joy and riding, you know, riding with that feeling and, and kind of following that feeling. For me, you know, I never settled for something that I didn't feel a hundred percent. And I know like, you know, running a business isn't always going to feel joyous by any means. And there, you have to have really, really thick skin and, and be able to ride out the, the really bumpy waves. But I think as long as you always hang on to that, the, the reason that you, you know, you started it and like hold onto that really tight, you know, it, it makes the ride so much easier. So for me, it's all about continuing to find that joy and like, continuing to identify it, no matter how, what turn your business kind of takes. Absolutely. I, I love that. Cindy, where can everyone find you and follow you? And of course, buy your awesome products. Thanks. Just at Cindy Ramirez, C-Y-N-D-I. I was named after Cindy Lauper. So that's how you can remember that. I love that. <laughs> and Chill House at Chill House and chillhouse.com. And I've also created a little code for you guys. So you can buy our products and experience them for yourself. Use the code ENTREPRENISTA15, all caps, ENTREPRENISTA. That'll unlock 15% off. Awesome. Thank you. I cannot wait to try your chill tips because I definitely need them. I used to get oh. manicures all the time and now running around with a little one. So def definitely going to order them. So thank you Perfect for, for that. Perfect for moms. Yes. We just want to feel, feel cute. Yes. Thank you <laughs> so much for being here, Cindy. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. 
You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.